0: all have a sphere of influence and we are all meant to leave a mark we all have a purpose.
1: Welcome to Inspiring Leaders the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. <laughs> Welcome back to the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. I'm executive coach Terry Lepofsky. On this week's episode, we're going to be exploring frontline leadership with an incredible guest coming to us from Tennessee, Marjorie K. Eastman. Marjorie, I am honored that you're here joining us today. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders.
0: Thank you, Terry. I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
1: Marjorie, you know, you came to my attention just a while back with your fantastic book, The Frontline Generation, How We Served Post-9-11. Now, this has been hailed as the first book to define post-9-11 service and leadership. I've since learned that this is just the tip of the proverbial iceberg of inspiring perspectives on leadership from one amazingly accomplished person. Now, you've got a bachelor's in political science from the University of California. You've got a master's in international security with concentrations in homeland security, intelligence, and human rights from the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies at the University of Denver where you were selected to be part of the FBI's honors intern program. And if that's not enough, you've also got an MBA from the Owen Graduate School of Management at Vanderbilt University, and that's just your education section of your resume. You also served as the U.S. Army Intelligence Officer for 10 years. And I know that you've done combat deployments supporting Operation Iraqi Freedom. Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan, where you commanded over a hundred soldiers. You were ranked the number one military intelligence company commander in eastern Afghanistan. You earned the Bronze Star for meritorious service as a combat commander, and you were also awarded the Combat Action Badge. Now, back in the U.S., you've been involved with boards that support girls and women and veterans You recently were the president and COO of the YWCA in Nashville, as well as the national speaker for Bunker Labs, where you were speaking to and inspiring each of their 17 chapters around the U.S. This brings me back to your book, The Frontline Generation, How we Served Post-9-11. Maybe you can sound off on some of your experiences, your book, your perspectives, and this idea of frontline leadership. But before you jump into it, Marjorie, if you will, what leader has inspired you and why?
0: Harry, thank you for that very warm introduction. I, I gotta tell you, I struggled finding one person to talk about because I, you know, you'll meet several people in my book who have inspired me and taught me how to be the leader that I want to follow. But if I had to choose one uh, today, the person that comes to mind is the Commissioner for the State of Tennessee for Veteran Services, and her name is Nanny Bears Grinder. Nanny and Bears she, Grinder? She is an incredible human being, a uh, first-generation American. I think, you know, when, when she did start to get, I think it was in her mid-20s, she joined the military, and she did nearly 30 years of military service. Retired as a colonel, also has combat tours, a bronze star, and is a gold star mom. Um, she lost her daughter-in-law in the war on terror. So she's part of this amazing military family, and she's one of these pioneers that when you see her, I've seen her over the last few years here in Tennessee, and, and with her leadership, whether it's one-on-one or she's in a crowd of people, all people walk away so moved by her. And I think oftentimes that we, we try to find in that inspired leader, we, we use words like charisma or authentic or great communicator, right? Great encourager. But what just really truly resonates from this, a wonderful human being, Manny Bears, is that she cares. She really cares. People feel listened to and heard because they are.
1: I'm really glad that you brought that up. I personally believe that that's a bit of a secret recipe for leaders. The more that you can embrace and lean into caring, the better of a leader you'll become.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think care is a very important word. And I use that word. It's not necessarily, you know, when you lead, you don't have to always like the people that are part of the team or what are your projects or what you're doing because cause we're human beings. There's going to be friction points, right? But you have to care and caring, there's power to that. It frees you up and you know that you're loved and it allows you to do things as an individual. And so let take that and turn that into leadership of servant leadership. I, I know you, you know very much about that. Right. It's that aspect of caring. I was speaking to a group last week of regional leaders for a large institution here in the U.S after I gave a presentation where I went through several vignettes and stories from the book, one of my first questions was this firecracker of, of a human being. I could tell from this young man who raised his hand and he said, so can you just, can you just really just slow it down and tell me what's the, what's the Holy grail of leadership? <laughs> <And he's> like, <laughs> I'm like, so you want to know what's the one chapter you absolutely must read in my book. Is that what you're getting to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, And it was really funny. And it, and going back to, Manny Bears, throughout the book, you know, the book began as a personal memoir for my son. It was to share with him the stories and lessons of the people I'd served with. And so much of that was about leadership and service and character. And it was just all kind of wrapped and intertwined. It was 10 years that I served in the military. It's important to note, I came to the place in, in writing about that and focusing on my military service because I was at a, a crucible in my life where I needed to remind myself that I was strong. I needed that because my little boy, when I began writing this book for him, he was six months old at the time and he had just been diagnosed with cancer. Right. And so I knew I needed to remind myself that I was strong, that I was gonna get through his fight with cancer. We didn't know what what was gonna happen. I will not lead you into suspense at all. Today my son is five and he's cancer free. So we are so grateful. But back five years ago when he was a little baby and we had the diagnosis, I had to write and remind myself and I kept going back to that time, especially that time in service. And really got back to my time in the military. And so I was writing about the man that I hope my son would become because I wanted him to learn these lessons. I was telling myself he was going to be a man. And it got down to these very important, these bright little moments of my service in the military. And the one chapter that I told the young man who had asked the question about the Holy Grail, I said, make sure you read the chapter, you see a light, you don't hear one. Because that, that really gets to a good point in the book where I pivot and you're learning a lot about why I joined the military. Service and the leadership lessons I was learning as I was growing up and maturing and becoming a, a young adult in my 20s. And the pivot point in that and in that chapter really gets down to what, you know, Manny Bears in her leadership it's just very clear. It's this with leadership, we often times think we have to have a command philosophy, or, you know, that's a very grand way the military always puts it. But you have your commander's intent or your goals or your vision for an organization, it gets down to how you live your own life has more influence on others than any command philosophy you may one day espouse. The point of that is how you live your own life. Character matters. And, and being a decent human being and having humanity and putting yourself outside of yourself and seeing, seeing the situation from other angles those are all part of the equation.
1: Oh, what an invaluable perspective.
0: Well, thank you. I you know, I I appreciate your curiosity in this because a lot of people who have supported the military throughout the years, I think sometimes we think the military is that premier hierarchical institution where it's left, right, left, right. And of course the military is called in high regards because of its values and ethos and and So when you hear you know terrible or damaging stories about where that's not being told, it's, it's even more disturbing because with the military, you you have an expectation of duty, honor, country, integrity, respect, loyalty. These wonderful values that an ethos that we should have in our institutions, and, and we need to have a leadership.
1: Is there too little of that these days?
0: That's a good question. I think it's important not to lose sight that that matters and that means something. You had said earlier on, people are so often driven by metrics and data and, you know, what did you make, you know, your profit and loss and this and that. Well, guess what? Absolutely. I get that. Uh, um, By the way, I was an intel officer and information, you know, intelligence, good intelligence, drives operate, you know, decisions that change the course of history. So, of course, we need the information, the data and the metrics we need good people that have that grounding in our ethos and our values and have our feet, you know, firmly planted in, in humanity.
1: Are we going through a leadership crisis?
0: Well, it is a, a wonderful question that you asked, and I would want to answer it with a short story from the book, and it's from the chapter, What Color Is Your Cape?" Excellent. And in this chapter, you get to move a dear friend of mine, who I met, she was a colleague when I was a contractor in Denver, Colorado. And in this story, you learn how my friend Claire, who is a very spicy, five foot nothing Italian woman who will quickly tell you what's on her mind. Yeah. You learned how you know very, almost immediately in the chapter that one day you know while I was deployed and on my second tour and over in Afghanistan, she was cleaning her garage and she saw this pile of these like nineteen nineties beanie babies, all the rage beanie babies. And she thought and she remembered that with some of the photos that I had sent to an email list of family and friends of some pictures of us out in the villages, me and my troops. And uh, she thought, Well, what if I ship these to Marjorie? Maybe if they have, if they were on the right mission they could pass enough kids she was seeing in the photos. So she emailed me and asked Did I do that? And I said, Sure, absolutely. Because her idea was perfect for my company. We were doing full-spectrum intelligence operations. So on any day, our mission offensive, defensive, support, or stability. And so this would definitely be like a goodwill, a humanitarian type of thing that we could do when we were in the right area of operation. So I said, yeah, absolutely, send it over. And I completely forgot all about it, and I kept going on with all the busy that you have. Yeah. And about six weeks later, six, eight weeks later, I get this huge box, orderly room, and it's filled. I mean, oh, I mean, more than a hundred Beanie Babies are in this box. And I'm thinking, what in the world? On her nose, what, you know, Claire thought, well, if she had these, then there were probably some other people in Denver that might have some of these Beanie Babies. So by way of a Craigslist ad, she rallied Denver, Colorado, and gathered up all these little Beanie Babies, <laughs> and she just them all over. I mean, it was probably close to your 200 Beanie Babies that we ended up getting in this box. And you'll see and learn from the rest of the story in the mission book how it sounds like, okay, these little stuffed animals and you pass them up to children in these remote villages, which was probably the very first stuffed animal. But the bigger point is, are you waiting for a promotion or a bigger title to really lead? Because We all have a sphere of influence, and we are all meant to leave a mark. We all have a purpose. And frontline leaders step up to that that point in time, that point in which they have to do something, and it's a choice. And so that's what she did. In her sphere of influence, she decided, yeah, I'm going to do something, and I'm going to really do something. That's One of those aspects of frontline leadership is is just knowing you do not have to have a title to be a leader. In fact, not all people with titles are leaders. And we all have a spirit in for it. We all will have front lines in our life where we can make a difference.
1: I'm so glad that you just highlighted that because I think that it's a point worth making. It's something that I think that we're losing track of a little bit in our society.
0: Absolutely. And, and you know, I shared that you had asked the question do we have a leadership crisis? The questions that we ask are very important. And just to remind people that each of us has that ability to make a difference. Because we've all we all go through especially there's points in our lives where we truly sit down and think and say, Who do I wanna be? How am I gonna make a difference? How is my life gonna count? And these questions are very important. That leads me to another story in the book, if you don't mind, I'd love to share with you this chapter called Asking the Right Questions. I wanna ask you this, Gary. When you ask why, do you ask yourself, why not, as well? Because every time we see the why question, we should also be asking ourselves, why not? The nature and the spirit of that unfolds in the chapter, Asking the Right questions, where you get to meet one of my interrogators, specialist Ashley Johnson. She, why not, a millennial, a rookie interrogator, beautiful, stunning black woman. There's a beautiful photo of her in the book. Who could be the one to unburge the largest weapons patch recovered outside of Bagram in two thousand ten. Yeah. It's about not putting what you think your limits are on other people and giving people runway. Let me go a little bit deeper into this with Ashley. In the Middle East, they have a very prohibitive culture which does not allow men in most in the areas where we were. It did not allow men to talk with women who are not their families. Right. So clearly, especially as an intelligence collector and, and operations, we desperately needed to reach the other half of the population. So we needed to have our female soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines over there because they were doing a vital role. I liken it to the Navajo co-talkers, a group of Marines in World War II of Native American descent, who offered a unique skill set that aided combat operations, that changed the tide of war, I bring this up because those who did women post 9/11 in the Middle East, their differentiation, being women, being able to talk with other women, helped change the tide of war. And so you learn in these chapters, you go through the missions, one of the sources only wants to talk with a woman, and we get this part of intelligence operations, you never know what they want, or what the, you know, well, I can talk with you if, or can you give me this, and fascinating area to work in but actually she built her floor connected with the stores and before long we're walking through a cleared field of landmines and i watched her do this she shared the information she guided the truck commander and she saved countless lives that day i mentioned she was one of my interrogators i had a lot of interrogators in my last command when you command interrogators and you're leading interrogators you often learn to ask good questions, these guys and gals, they are trained to ask questions well, right? Right, yeah. You, know, you can't get anything past them. The bigger idea of this, and the why and the why not, that whole spirit in which they started sharing about this chapter and the story, is, you know, I've heard people ask, are we setting women up for failure if we open all positions to them? But what we should be asking is if we're setting our mission up for failure if it's performed without women. Because in the Army, we say mission first, people always. Yeah. Differentiation adds value. You have to leverage differences. You have to keep in mind, absolutely mission, always people. And make sure you're asking those right questions because frontline leaders do that.
1: You're brilliant. I love your perspectives (laughs) on this. And I think that where you're coming from, the attitude that you're coming at it with, and The experience that has arrived at those attitudes, I think that this is something that more and more people need to hear.
0: Absolutely. You have to push against and say, this is the way we've always done it. Well, that doesn't work anymore. Like you have to ask around that and think outside the box and come at every angle and every perspective. It is just so important. And so as leaders, we must always be doing that for ourselves because one of the anchors that I've heard a couple times since I've been out of the military. People ask me, so was your husband in the military? They don't even ask me if I was in the military. They're anchored to think that men are awarded the bronze star and serving abroad and, and I get it. I get the historical long term perspective, it's predominantly been men. But women also have been out there out front, next standing right next to these really good men on that front line.
1: Before we wrap up, Marjorie, if you don't mind, I've got two questions for you now I've given you a little bit of an advance warning of this one. What are the biggest challenges that you see facing a lot of the leaders out there now?
0: I came back around to an article that I'd read in the New York Times about a year ago. It says, you know something along the lines that the article said we're too busy. We all need a George Stoltz hour." And what that means is the challenge that we face and on all leaders, all levels, we have a constant barrage of information and this chronic fatigue of constantly being on and on and working and answering emails. You get people that are, that proudly boast, oh, I answered an email on my wedding day for work. Like, what have we done? You know, we are so overtasked, oversaturated, overwhelmed, and we think that a little short vacation is going to remedy that. No, you know, and not just that, but bigger idea of, of how that really takes away from some important times to sit and think about strategy, policies here, whether personally or professionally. And so we need to be a little underemployed. And that's what that article talks about. And Secretary of State George Stoltz tell his staff, the only time you can pull me out of this quiet hour when I'm quietly thinking, working, if my wife calls with the president. We really need to set those boundaries. And I think that that Truly really is a challenge.
1: Yes, absolutely. And this of course is a perfect segue into my last question for you. What does inspired leadership mean to you?
0: It uplifts a person. It uplifts them to believe in a mission or themselves. And it's so much to the point in which change occurs and they act on it. I believe that is what inspiration can do.
1: I can't tell you how much I appreciate that, especially for somebody who is really breaking new ground and covering new ground the way that you are out there, the way that you're bringing other people to a better place than where they were. I want to thank you for being part of this show. If people want to connect with you, how are they going to be able to find you?
0: I'm on LinkedIn, Marjorie K. Eastman. You can find me on my Facebook author page, Marjorie K. Eastman or uh, my website. It's my name, Eastman.com or thefrontlinegeneration.com.
1: I'm going to have all of that in the show notes so people can connect with you there as well. Also, I'm going to have a link in there too, Marjorie, for the section on your website called Sound Off for your speaking engagements, because I know people are going to want to connect with you for that as well. Before we go, I also want to just pause for a moment and thank our listeners. You folks are the reason why we can attract Great guests like Marjorie K. Eastman. So, I want to thank you for not only listening to this, but also for your comments and your ratings on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. That's the feedback that really makes a difference and it gets the message out there. When we rank higher, more people will hear us. And we do want this message to get out to more people. So, thank you in advance for all of that support. Thank you, Marjorie, for being part of this.
0: Thank you, Terry.
1: We'll see you all again next time. Take care and bye for now.